0: So we'll have some good solid foundation of stuff but a lot of the stuff is going to be what works well for you, what works well for you, and we can help build each other's marriages. Um, I think you hear a lot of times, you know, one of the things that society, Satan, whatever, I think you say Satan more than society, is if you can destroy the family, destroy the marriage, you can really hurt Christianity. So we got to stay solid with our foundations. Um, One of the other things I really kind of want to talk about too is you know if you're going to talk about your wife do it in a nice constructive manner. <laughs> is that it? Pardon? This is part of the class. Yes, this is part of the class. I I don't Mike, we all know Lisa, so if you start talking ill of Lisa, we know you're not telling us the truth. <laughs> uh, I mean, yes you can share personal experiences, but I don't want you to be ripping apart and tearing apart your wife in this class. Uh, you know, the only thing I might know about your wife is what you say here tonight, okay? And while that applies for this class, I want you also to think about that should apply in your everyday life. Whether you, When you're at work, wherever, you know, a men's event, a gathering with friends, if you keep talking ill of your wife, everybody who, has, who hears about this is gonna think, this is this mean, not rotten, nasty lady. And then they're going to meet her. And they're going to be like, oh, she's not, yeah. <laughs> we know where the real problem in the marriage is. So, I, you know, yes, there are certain things that you're going to have to share that we'll, you know, talk about. Writing, but try to do it in a nice, constructive way. Not to rip apart and tear down. Uh, because one of the things I want to say is like, you know, marriage is not a competition between you and your wife okay? It's not a game where I'm trying to win and be better. You know, I want to be better in my marriage, but not better to win against my wife. And one of the best ways I heard that was, if I'm trying to win a competition and beat my wife and get into an argument and say, I'm doing this and you're, I'm right and you're wrong. Okay, great. If I'm right, I'm the winner. If she's wrong, she's the loser. Okay? And I don't think anybody here, their goal in life is to be married to a loser. Okay? So think about how you react with your wife, how you do things with her. And what you share here, you know, is a reflection on it. You don't want to make your wife look like a loser. You don't want to make your kids look like a loser. You know, we're here to be building one another up in a good, Christ-like manner. Uh, is it working, Dan? Okay. Whoops. Other way. okay uh, i hit on this a little bit last week uh, the definition of of a man from authentic manhood by uh, dr robert lewis and uh, a lot of us throughout the years we've gone through it was called authentic manhood 15 years ago then they changed it to men's 33 and uh, but this definition is more from the men's 33 it's almost identical to the one we did 15 years ago it's the, the last one changed a little bit but was the same basic concept but One thing, and we talked a little bit last week at our table, is, you know, for those of us who are older, we remember, you know, the TV shows with the manly man, okay? You know, your John Waynes, James Garner, you could probably throw out more. You know, they showed men being men. But over the years, you know, Hollywood, society, they're showing men to be almost the weaker vessel. Like, we really don't know what's going on you know, the woman is really in charge. And I mean, it's not a competition of who's in charge and who isn't, but it's changing the structure of how things are. And even, you know, there's a comedian out there that says, you know, happy wife, happy life. And to me that's only half correct. I heard somebody else say, it's better you should say happy spouse, happy house. Okay? Because it's not all about us trying to make our wife happy. It's about you and your spouse trying to make each other happy, which will make the house better. You're not gonna make your wife happy?
1: <laughs> down.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's only part of it. You need to be working together. You know, if, you have, if you're each trying to build up your marriage and make each other one stronger, and getting that happy house and that happy spouse, your kids will see it. Uh, I think one of the greatest things we can do is to teach a godly marriage to our small children. Okay? They see believe it or not, I mean I think for those of you who have kids who are getting older they pick up the good and the bad that you do. They see it. They know it. So if you're not being deliberate about what you're doing and what you're saying and trying to show that good godly example, your kids are going to see the wrong example. Uh, I think anyone here who has a daughter, they want their husbands to marry a godly man. Anybody here who has a son wants their son to marry a godly woman. And they need to see those examples in the household. And if you as a godly husband aren't showing that you're a godly husband, or you're ripping apart your wife to show that she's not really a godly wife, your kids will see that, and that can have effects for generations to come. But the first thing here is reject passivity. What do you guys think that means
1: intentional good point
0: do we i mean and later on we're go we'll get into different personality types and so but do we have a tendency as men as things times have changed to become more passive in what we do Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You, to, a you, and versa, so you and in to the point where in, in order to have But if you're, if, if that's not a good
0: yeah. Uh, you know, my personality is more calm. Things don't really bother me, uh, which it's nice because if my wife asks for my opinion, most of the time it's like, that's okay. It's not so much being passive. Most things don't, like, do I want this in red or do I want it in blue? I don't care. <laughs> I just want it. <laughs> so, but there's been times like she'll say something, I'll say, well, I don't know if that's gonna work. So, because of our relationship, she knows if I say something like that, you know, there's a reason. You know, because she knows that while I don't have a lot of, don't care a lot of stuff, I'm not also going to be just passive and push everything aside. Um, There are certain things that are, you know, you're gonna stand on that hill and die on that you can't be passive about, but there are things, if it's not that, like, do you really care if you have uh, sausage tonight or spaghetti? If you do, that's great. Me, when my wife says, is it OK if we just have sandwiches for dinner? Yeah, I'm OK with that. I don't need certain types of food every night. I'd be OK having a sandwich every night. I mean, that's, you know. Sí You know what we're talking about tonight here in 10, fifteen minutes, six months it took us to get to the definition. <laughs> like all the things he used to call it, he called it unpacking your suitcase to going through like all your past things of your family growing up. You have to get through and deal all that before you really start finding out who you are um, and i'm I'd encourage you guys if you haven't ever try to find that authentic manhood class. And I think it really help you as a, not just as a husband, but also as a man. Uh, you know, take responsibility. Do we take responsibility? Do we think we do, but we don't? or? Now, that made me think of something else, and I know there's only a handful of people here that might remember, I think his name was Sam Erickson. He was an attorney, a missionary we had. Nope, okay, Uh, he used to talk about rationalization. You know, we try to, you know, we don't take responsibility, we try to rationalize what we do. And he said, if you think about what is, when you rationalize, what are you really doing? You're coming up with rational lies. I'm like, wow! I, I, that's probably twenty-five, thirty years ago that he was here in our church telling us about that, and it really hit me. With, you know, yeah, we don't take responsibility. We try to say, well, you know, this happened because of this, and I, this person did that, and that person did that, and that's why I did this. You know, we're trying to rationalize why we did what we did. We're coming up with, you know, it sounds good with lies, you know, and everybody, it's not my fault, you know, and that's. You know that's where we've gotten to today. Like we come up with these rationalized that it's not my fault; it's somebody else's fault. We're not taking responsibility. And you know when we get into it, you know the marriage, our family, it's our responsibility. Uh, we will see God put us in charge of the family, in charge of our, you know. There's a God ordained authority. You know we fall under God, and then our wife and her children fall under us, and we need to take that responsibility. And then that gets into next, the leading courageously. And leading courageously is not a dictator. Okay? You know, you need to look at what's best for the family, do what's best for the family, and, you know, reject passivity, take responsibility, and lead your family. Um, What are some examples of leading your family? That's, what I was going to say, it's probably easy one that everybody probably hopefully does on Sunday. You know, you're saying, you know, church is a priority for us on Sunday morning. Okay. Uh, you know, depending on where you are, you could have, you know, community group is a priority. Uh, Kids for Truth, TNT. I don't want to tell you to be doing, because then you're going to be out every night during the week, and mm-hmm. that's going to probably be less beneficial to your marriage than beneficial if you're here at the church six days a week Uh, you need to pick and choose but that's part of you know leading the family what's best for my family what's best for my kids and you know pick those things that are going to help the family Uh, you know things maybe community group i think is a is an important one because that's usually involving the family that's a good thing that you're doing with your spouse Uh, but we got to lead courageously with our family. And the last one was invest eternally. And uh, I know there's all different things that you can do about that. We're not talking about financially eternally. We're talking about, you know, eternally with where you're going to spend eternity in heaven or hell, where your kids are going to spend eternity, grandkids, great-grandkids. Uh, those are things you got to think about. Now, it, it happens fast. I know some of the guys here who, <laughs> we now have grandchildren and stuff. It, it, it moves quickly. And, you know, what you're doing, what you're leading with you and your spouse has an impact on your kids, has an impact on your grandkids. And yes, there are, you know, there are things that our parents did that have messed us up, that will do things that are gonna mess up our children, but we also have to be willing to say, you know yes I, that's a mistake i made but you know i've asked god to forgive me i've tried to f- change fix and improve and you know we're all going to make mistakes it's just what do we do after we make that mistake uh, yeah. oh yeah past Sunday, we had two child dedications, okay? And at one point, Pastor Mark asked all of us to, you know, stand up as a congregation and basically say that if we come across this child, we are going to be that godly example and help do whatever we can to help that child become a Christian. Um, and I'll tell you, years and years ago when I heard that, that scared me. I wasn't sure if I always wanted to say, <laughs> I will, you know, because you are actually making a commitment to do what you can to help that child that was dedicated on Sunday before God, yes. You're not, just making, you're not making a commitment to the kid. You're not making a commitment to the parents. You're not making a commitment to the, you know, the church. You're making a commitment to God that you're going to be that godly example and help and do whatever you can. And that should scare you. Uh, so, tonight, you probably didn't think this is where we'd start <laughs> on a marriage study, but we're starting with the Ten Commandments. Uh, and is it on two screens, Dan, or three? Two. So, could I have somebody read this screen, and then there's the rest of them on the next screen, or... the last So this here, the Ten Commandments, as we like to call them, the first ten laws that God gave, and there's over 600 laws in the Old Testament. And what what does the law basically show us? And what does it show about us? (laughs) Well, don't do it, but (laughs) sinful. okay. You know, we If you didn't have a law, you wouldn't know if you were doing things right or wrong. And these aren't man's laws. So let's start right off. You know, the laws that are in the Old Testament, they're God's laws, okay? They're not something that, you know, some local municipality came up with uh, to prevent people from building parking lots. Uh, You know, these are laws that God established. And if you don't have a law that God, so you know right from wrong, you're not gonna know if you're doing right or wrong. So, and while the law points out our sin, it also gives us freedom, okay? Because if we know what the law is and what the boundaries are, we have all this freedom within those boundaries. Uh, One of the best examples I heard about this was an inner city school. The brand new school, they built it, there with all the busy streets but they had they opened the school before they had the fences up around the playground so when the kids had to go out for recess they couldn't do anything they had to stand against the wall basically for all the recess because everybody was afraid these kids would run into the street but once they had that fence up they knew what the boundaries were and now these kids could go out and play and do all kinds of things and stay within those boundaries So, yes, the law is there to show us right from wrong, but the law also gives us the freedom. And there's a lot of freedom within God's laws. Uh, But the other thing, it does show us we are sinful. Uh, There's nothing we can do. We can't keep all these laws. We're not not perfect. We're not going to do it. We're not going to get into heaven by keeping the laws because we'll fail. Um, And I think a little bit I shared last week was, I grew up going to a Protestant church. If you would have asked me if I was going to heaven, I'd say, yeah. Because I thought I was doing all, I went to church, I got those perfect attendance pins for going to church. Uh, Went every week, heard all the Bible stories, knew them all, but I didn't have that personal relationship with God. I never asked for the forgiveness of my sins wasn't until I was actually in college as a sophomore and I started hearing like you know you're a sinner you're not going to be able to keep all these laws to get to heaven you need to admit that you're a sinner ask for forgiveness ask Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior and that's the only way you're getting to heaven and you know I don't know where all you guys stand in your spiritual walk but if you guys aren't sure whether or not you're going to heaven or not I'd encourage you, you know, talk to me, talk to one of the men's groups leaders, talk to one of the pastors, catch one of the pastors on a Sunday. Because, you know, while marriages are important, the most important thing is your relationship with God. And that's the true foundation where we have to get. Uh, let me go here. Okay. So now we get into the New Testament. And uh, somebody would somebody like to read this section from Mark? Thanks, Gordon. So when they asked Jesus what's the greatest commandment, he basically summarized the Ten Commandments in this one statement. Because if you look at the Ten Commandments that we read, the first four deal with our relationship with God, the next six deal with our relationship with other people, and he's he sums it up there. Uh, and I always find that interesting. You're know, like, what's the number of man? Six. How many commandments deal with our relationship with other men? Six. Now, to me, you know, God it's just so perfect in how he puts everything together uh, but the first part of course is it starts with our relationship with God those four commandments are summed up then it gets into our relationship with other people and while we're going to be dealing mainly with our relationship with our spouse this concept deals with everybody who we deal with there's only you have two relationships when you're dealing with somebody like when Sam and I are doing things together there's a relationship we both have with God and a relationship with each other and we need to work on those relationships. Uh, So this is an example of when you get married. First get married shows the relationship. God at the top, you have a line between your relationship with God Your wife has a relationship with God, and you have a relationship with each other. And in all likelihood, it's probably a pretty big triangle when you start. Because you don't know your wife. Marriage is a long game plan. It's not a short game plan. You know, we start, we think we know each other really well, but I think most of us have been married a long time. Like, I know my wife a lot better today than I did 35 years ago, okay? It's a growing relationship. Things are always growing and getting better. Uh, So our goal is to continue to get closer to our wife, but the best way to get closer to our spouse is by both of us growing closer to God. If you look at the, the triangle up there, you know, down at the bottom is where you started. See how far apart you are from God, how far you are from your wife? As you're growing closer together, or growing closer to God, you're growing closer together. And that's what we need to work on. You know, the definite, you know, reject passivity, take responsibility, lead courageously. These are all designed to help us grow closer to God, but also closer to our spouse. And while this is the ideal, marriage, uh, it doesn't always seem to work out that way. Uh, In this example, what's happening? Yeah. So that's that's somewhat good for your wife. I'm going to say it's still not great because while she's grown closer to God, your marriage is probably starting to fall apart because She's probably, you know, those are the stories you hear, you know, the wife nagging the husband to come to church. That doesn't always work too well. Uh, But the other side is the husband grows closer and the wife is not there. And those two examples, it's not good for your marriage. It's not good for your relationship with God, and it's not good for your marriage. And if you have kids, it's not good for your relationship with kids. And we need to be deliberate and intentional about working on those relationships. And it's not, you know, not just the first year of marriage. You know, they have all the various statistics, I can't remember, like, most divorces happen like the first few years of marriage, when people are trying to get to know each other. Then maybe when the kids come, and then when the kids are gone. Because if you don't work on your relationships between God and your spouse, you know, there's nothing there and that's you know that's not a good thing and you know and while it takes both the wife and the husband to make those triangles grow closer together where did we start who's who's responsible for the family yeah us we're responsible we need to take that responsibility seriously Uh, might be five plus years ago, Pastor Mark did a thing on relationships relationship circles, you know so you know this apply you know the relationship circles, yes, our, our wives are going to be in the close, but the relationships apply to everybody, and are we building those relationships with others? You know we got to continue to be working and doing that uh, if we don't have that foundation, and we're not taking the responsibility for our marriage, for our wives, for our kids, it's going to fall apart. And we'll probably come up with some rational excuse with, well, my wife doesn't you know, do this, my wife doesn't do that, and that's why my marriage is falling apart. No, who's responsible? We are. You know, don't, don't let it slip away. You know, well, let's go back, you know, Garden of Eden. Okay, who ate the fruit? Eve did, but what happened, what does it say immediately after that? What did she do? Yeah, so he was right there. Right there in the beginning, you see man being passive. And, you know. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. So, and because of that, now, granted, you know, God knew it was going to happen. You know, it didn't surprise God that that happened. Nothing surprises God. But, like, you know, even way back then, you see the first man, you know, was passive, he didn't lead. Look at all the problems we have. Uh, the other kind of thing I want to throw out is: uh, Does anybody remember what the first commandment was that dealt with our relationship with other people? What's the rest of it? Honor your mother, father, and mother, so so that it may that it may go. That's the first commandment with a promise. Okay. So think about that too, like as you're raising your kids and you know. You never stop being a kid, and you never stop being a parent. Okay, honor your parents, and do things the best you can that your kids will honor you, because th- there are promises. You, know, you know, what they see will have an impact on them and their marriage, and your grandchildren, hopefully, when you, you get that far. So we you, you got to be deliberate. This is you know. Like I said, there's no, there's no blueprint up here that I'm going to say, oh, this is going to work and your marriage is going to be perfect. The only thing I say is going to be perfect is you work hard at it. That's the only thing. you got to work hard and have that good. Re- you need to keep working on your relationship with God and your relationship with your spouse. Uh, do date nights. Uh, for if you have small kids, find another couple with small kids and say, we'll watch your kids this Friday. You watch our kids next Friday and I'm gonna encourage even the people who are getting with older kids. You know, I made a commitment, my wife actually is the one who told me we should start doing it. When our kids were in high school, I started taking off one day a month. And we would go out during the day on a date. Because at some point in the next few years, our kids were gonna be off the college and out of the house, we're gonna be empty nesters. And if you're putting all your time into your kids and not with each other, now what's going to happen? You've got nothing there to keep you guys together. So you've got to make those commitments to do those things with your wife. Uh, and I think I had told our table last week, because most of you people know me, that I'm also very cheap, that we'd go to the first movie of the showing at Cinemark, that was the cheapest movie, and then go out for lunch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you don't have to do expensive things to keep your spouse in that good relationship, you just have to be committed to do things. Uh, and you know, I think all of us here who work somewhere it's like, "I can't take a day off a month." Well, I think you need to maybe not ju- maybe not a month. I, w- I won't tell you you have to go that far, but you need to take a time off at some point to do things with your wife. because what are you showing is more important, your work or your wife? your work or your kids your work or your family so you got to find you got to find that time to take time like you know maybe you only get a couple days off a year but then find a Saturday do something like they said exchange babysitting stuff so that you can make and show that your wife is important to you because if you're showing your wife that she's important you'll be growing that triangle will get closer together thoughts or questions insight. don't know if I know 100% for sure because I know they always say cows have to be milked every day so I don't know but it, to me I'd look at it also like the manna maybe you know you gather twice on not as much on Saturday and you don't have to take anything on Sunday maybe if you did things the right way you wouldn't have to milk the, you'd get twice as much on Saturday and you wouldn't have to milk them on Sunday I, okay yeah I, I don't want to get into a legalistic that the Sabbath is Sunday for everybody. You know, a Sabbath day of rest is a Sabbath day of rest. And if your job, you're working on a Sunday, maybe your Sabbath is a Friday that you're taking, like when you're getting away from all that hectic and crazy stuff. You know, don't. I don't want you to get legalistic on. You know, well Sunday's the day we have to have is the Sabbath. No, that to me is getting very legalistic. If you're whatever job requires you that that's how your job schedule works you need to then find another day to take that sabbath rest yeah okay our pastors work for you know 45 minutes on sunday <laughs> yeah some of them some of them go up front and do five minutes worth of announcements and that's it <laughs> so but like our pastors take is monday is their day away from this building so they, and hopefully they take it, and you need to make sure you do take those days away from this building okay yeah because it's important you know, and you know, spend that time with your family, spend that time with your spouse, just and don't like, okay well today's my sabbath well, you know, I can go cut the grass I can paint the house, I can just that's, that's not a sabbath day of rest that's you know finding other things to do that still takes you away from your family. Other thoughts? Well, we got a few questions for you guys. Uh, talk about them, encourage one another. If you're on a small table, combine tables. We're here to help each other.